there's always a challenge for the preacher of the gospel to realize that he is running around the parameters of a boundary that he can't get all the way around. I think that there is a particular joy that is ours that no matter, as Christians, how great, uh, how well, how clearly communicated the love of God may be to know that that communicator was still not able to go far enough. That the love of God is still deeper, is wider, is greater than any of us that I have tongue to tell or have mine to be able to understand. And I want to tell you this morning, as we look at John 3.16, we're going to be pushed to go to some places that we really can't fully understand. We're going to be going back to a time that, that we can't even process. I mean, it doesn't even fit here between our ears. And that's the, that's the great thing. It's not that I can... Uh, how horrible really would it be or how unfulfilling would it be if I, could, if I could truly communicate all of the expanse of God's love? If I could truly tell you how deep it really is, and how wide it really is, and how powerful that love really is. I, I love it that I can stand up and do my very best to communicate this amazing love of God, and to know at the end of the day, I still only scratch the surface. And I hope that that is an encouragement for you as well. Over these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the gospel. What is it? You know, as I mentioned in the promo video last week, that a lot of times we feel like we need to have a dictionary with us or a thesaurus uh, to be able to understand some of the words that we use in church culture to describe God's love. And when it comes down to it, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ is so simple that a child can understand it. And unfortunately, we sometimes put up those barriers unintentionally, not that those words are bad, but that sometimes they are difficult to understand. So this morning, my goal, and over the next few weeks, is to do my very best to clearly communicate for you what the love of Jesus is. What is the gospel? What is the good news? So that those of you who have never heard it, who have never understood it, who have never believed it or received it, may do so. And those of you to whom that is an old, old story that you love to hear, that you may still yet be encouraged and may be better equipped to go out and share the love of Jesus with the lost and dying world. In John chapter 3, there was one of the Pharisees, a man by the name of Nicodemus. He came to Jesus by night. Some have referred to this encounter as Nick at night, that he comes and finds Jesus and under the shadow of darkness so none of his other Pharisee friends would see that Jesus, that he was talking to Jesus, who was uh, popular with the common folk, but incredibly unpopular with the religious elite of the day. Nicodemus comes to him and starts asking questions, and Jesus gives one of the greatest treatments here uh, to the love of God. He gives the, one of the greatest treatments and clearly lays out for us what is the good news, what is the gospel, how is one person saved. And it's in John chapter 3 that I want us to be able to see verses 15, 16, and 17. Jesus says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This morning we spend our time just going through that one phrase. That one beautiful phrase. It's a phrase that I believe leaves us with a mixture of emotions as believers. I believe that when we really understand and and start to grab a hold of this phrase, for God so loved the world, that it causes this interesting uh, happening in our life. I feel that it makes us want to bend at the knees while also raising our hands at the same time. A place of both praise and worship colliding in our hearts. For God so loved the world. Two things this morning, guys. This is not going to be long. This is not going to be exhaustive. Two things. The first of the two things is this. What do we get out of that phrase? We see God's character revealed. That first part of John 3, 16, for God so loved. Just taking that. If we were to just take those few words, we would see as Jesus, the Son of God, is now telling Nicodemus that God so loved the world. We see in that short little phrase, both God and his character combined. In 1 John chapter 4, it tells us that if we do not love, we do not know God because God is what? Love. In 1 John chapter 4, we get this idea from the apostle, the beloved apostle John, that God is himself love. He is love. His nature, his character, his makeup is love. We see that revealed. Let me tell you something. If God is love and we are his followers, Don't you think that that same character, that same nature ought to be in us? Don't you? You know, there is not a lot of theology. There is not a lot of good theology in the world right now. As as you go out and you talk to, to unchurched people or unbelievers, when you go out and talk to them, they may not have a lot of good theology, but there's one thing that a lost world knows or a lost world believes is that if we call ourselves followers of Christ, then we ought to look like the one in whom we follow. They know that. They believe that. If I call myself a Christian, then they expect me to look like Christ. And I just wanted to pause on that point for a moment, that if that is the character, part of the character, part of the nature of God, then it also, once we become born again, once we become saved, Once that love has made a difference in our life, it ought to affect other people. We ought to also demonstrate a similar love as God has shown us. His character is revealed. Now, I know that some of you may think this morning, you've heard or bought into this idea that God is some some being, some big being with his long white beard that sits in a long white robe up in the clouds. And you may have bought into this interpretation that that God who sits on that cloud with that big, long beard and somehow has the voice of Morgan Freeman, you probably have bought into that misrepresentation to believe that that God sitting on that cloud is just waiting for you to step out of line again. That that God that sits up there is sitting up there because he wants to have the best possible view on you. Because the moment you step out of line, he's going to cast down some lightning bolt and get you. You may look at your life 
You may look at your failures. You may look at some of the horrible things that have happened to you. You may look at some of the horrible things that have happened to people that you know or love or care about. You might even look at some of the good things that didn't happen to good people and the good things that happened to bad people. You might think, sit and think, wait a second, God, how in the world, based off of all that I see, how can you be good? If you are holy and righteous, if you are loving, then why do I see so much evidence, it appears, that you are not loving that you are not holy as unrighteousness seems to prevail. Guys, let me tell you something. I'm jumping ahead here a bit, but just remember this. God, I believe, we'll see in just a moment clearly, I believe that God has been using every situation or has desired to use every situation in your life, good, the bad, and the ugly, to bring you to a place of becoming born again. I believe God has wanted to use every one of those events, the good, the bad, and the ugly, for the purpose to be an intersection where you run into Him. Our world is flawed because of sin. Our flesh is flawed because of sin. We have bad things happen to us, not just because of our own doing as consequences of godless decisions or living unbiblical lives, or it could be that we are doing the right thing, and yet a lost world still does not see the, the, the truth of God, and, and it, it comes against us for that. Persecution happens. Sometimes we are foolish in our decisions. Sometimes we suffer bad things, not because of anything that we have done directly, but the consequences of something that someone else has done in relationship to sin. I promise you there is a day where God will set it all right. There is a day where we will be able to see that he is indeed the great leveler, where every mountain has been brought low and every valley has been raised up. Eternity is the great equalizer of all things. God is holy and just. And maybe not long from now, he will reveal to us just how holy and just he is. We see God's character revealed. First is mentioned that it was God. For God so loved. Notice the second thing this morning. We don't just see his character revealed, but we see our place. We see our place. When John uses the word world, he's not speaking in regards to the planet as far as it is a, a, a ball of dirt spinning around the sun. Or to put it like this, Jesus didn't show us love by coming to save us from fossil fuels. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what it means when it says love the world. It means he loved the people in the world. He loved the inhabitants of the world. He loved man, every tribe, nation, and tongue. Notice how it's worded. For God so loved the world. The Apostle Paul was writing to a group of believers in Ephesus. In a letter that would, they would read and then circulate around to other churches. 
And in the opening part of his letter to the Ephesians, he tells us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think about this with me for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We, I believe, I teach that life begins at conception. And I believe that the Bible teaches us that while we were still in that womb, God knew us. But according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, God's knowledge of me. God's understanding of me, God's love for me did not begin when I existed. God's love for me, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, existed before I existed, before my mom existed, before mankind existed, and before the world itself existed. Think about that for a moment. I mean, really, let's try our best to wrap our minds around this. Before God ever created the world and from the world made clay to make man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, thousands of years before he would ever send his son, God loved me. God chose me in him before he ever formed this sack of dirt that's spinning around the sun. Do you know what this tells me? I mean, you know what I can take away from this idea that he chose me in him? I can take away from that that I have immense value to God. He he loves me. Guys, it's one thing to leave an impact on somebody after you've met them. It's one thing after a couple leaves your house after a little dinner party and you say to your wife, oh, they were nice. Or three weeks later or a year later, you say, well, whatever happened to the, to the, the Joe Blows? Well, they were really nice people. It's one thing to make an impact on somebody after you've met them. But apparently I was such a big deal. <laughs> Not at all. God. Love me before I ever existed. Wow. You kidding me? Before you ever formed this world, God, you knew that I was going to mess up. You knew how I was going to mess up. You knew what I was going to do. And before man had ever sinned, your plan of redemption was already working. That while there was still darkness, and creation had not even heard the voice of the Creator yet, when it was only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I was presented to Him as a sinner, and He thought enough of me to say, I'm going to form this world, and I'm going to make this beautiful garden. And I'm going to place the pinnacle of my creation right there. 
And that creation is going to sin. And it's going to break my heart. And I'm going to send my son. Because that's how much I love them. I don't know. I can't, I can't fathom that much weight. I get crushed by it trying to think about it. I get mentally exhausted trying to run the parameters of such a love. What does this tell you? I would have to believe that God in His, infin- in His infinite knowledge, omniscience, knowing all things that are and could be, I'm sure that there could have been another plan. I'm sure that God, in all things, knowing all things, as He has set this thing in, in, in motion, I'm sure He could have said, well, no, let's scrap it, plan B. Jesus, your turn, what do you got? All right, Holy Spirit, I want to hear from you. I wonder if it could have gone like that. But for whatever reason, God chose the plan he did. And Paul says, before the world was ever laid out, God chose us as believers in him. His plans, his details were all arranged, all for the purpose of our redemption. No, no. God did not send his son because he said as Adam ate the fruit, oh no, they messed up my plan. Jesus, are you ready for plan B? No. That's not what happened. Our sin never took him by surprise. He was fully aware of it and prepared because he knew about it before. Notice the second thing. It wasn't just that our love existed or his love for us existed before anything else. But secondly, God initiated that love relationship. This is really important because we go through our relationships down here doing our best to earn love. That's, for the most part, how we've been trained. As husbands, we, on some degree, want to please our wives because we, in turn, want them to know, hey, uh, that he loves me and, and I love him. Oftentimes, in our relationships, even the best of relationships, they can be based off of a reciprocal relationship. I love my wife and she will love me back in turn. And I can do certain things that I know are going to make her happy. And in turn, when she's happy, when mom is happy, everybody's happy. And we, amen, and we can go through life. We can go through life trying to earn favor. Trying to earn love and always worried, am I not showing enough? You know, some of you may have scars and wounds on your heart. Because someone told you that you weren't worth their love. It may have been a past relationship may have been a boyfriend or a girlfriend that left you scarred and hurting, full of pain and feeling as though you had been rejected. And you thought, well, why did I not show myself worthy of enough love? Some of you may have deep, deep scars on your heart because of a mother or a father or grandparent that just never, you never could live up to. They always, you always questioned and wondered if they really loved you. And you say to yourself, did I not earn? Did I not do everything I could? Many hearts have been broken feeling as though they needed to earn love. Well, let me ask you this. If God chose us in Him before the world was ever formed, then how in the world could I ever earn His love? How? How?
for when we were still without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. None of us, according to the Bible, asked for this love. There's no record throughout the corridors of time that any of us were saying, Oh God, we need your love. God, we need you to intervene in our life as unbelievers. That's not the case. There were believers who were calling out for God's love. There were believers who were calling out for God to forgive, for God to set things straight. But as unbelievers, we were not beckoning God to rescue us. The Bible says that we were sheep going our own way. We were fine without God. We were not even just sheep, ignorant sheep going our own way. We were enemies of God. We found ourselves on the wrong side of God. And yet, He, in still, as we were still in our sins, loved us. He did, he, his love for me existed before anything else did, and He initiated it. Had He not initiated it, I would never be saved. I would never have come to God and acknowledged that I needed His love. I was living a content life without Him. We can't earn it. His love for me is not... His love towards me, if He initiated it, as 1 John tells us, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. If my love for God is only a result of Him loving me, there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's no way I can say, well, God, you picked the right guy when you got me. It's not like that at all. I was totally helpless. Doesn't matter if I was 12 years old when I got saved or not. I was, when I was 11, 11 and a half, any time before I came down and trusted Christ as my Savior, I was a man that was teetering over a devil's hell and deserving of everything I got because of my sin towards the Holy God. And yet before the foundation of the world, his character was revealed. My place was seen. And for reason beyond my understanding, God would look upon me through the corridors of time and say, I want that one. You see, when you go to the Humane Society to get a pup, if you do, don't take your kids. You'll walk out with sick. You probably do research. You want one that's cute? Everybody wants a cute dog for the most part. You want one that has the right temperament. You want one that fits into your, ability, your family's ability to take care of it. You want one that's not high maintenance most generally. Size matters. Breed matters. There are a lot of things you do you typically don't, or I would not recommend going to the Humane Society to just get a dog. I would probably have this little checklist in mind before you go. But then you walk down through and there's one that yips. A yipping dog? No. Nobody wants a yipping dog. 
it's sad, but they're full of yipping dogs. You look at one that's ugly, you pass on it. And finally, you come down to one, he's, he's just cute, he's just the right size, and he does that little thing the pups do where they go up to the pen, and they look real sweet. You know, they put their paws up there, and, they, and if they stick their tongue out a little bit, that's a game changer. You're, you've got that one. But guys, if you think about it, for God so loved the world, if that was God looking at us as puppies, we were the ugliest, meanest, disease-ridden dog you would have ever imagined. There was no hope that we would ever point a bird There was no hope that we would ever bring slippers. There was no good that we were going to do in that that shape. We were the ugliest, mangiest, rottenest, meanest dog you could have imagined. And yet God, in His infinite love for us, looked down and said, Yep, I want them. That's the one I want. And He might be free to some, but I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give my greatest gift that I can possibly give. I'm going to pay the greatest price for that ugly, nasty, disease-ridden, mean dog. That doesn't make sense to me. But it doesn't have to for me to believe it. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world, I get to see the height of the gospel. That he gave his only begotten son. I get to see the very depth of the gospel. That whosoever believes in him, I get to see the scope of the gospel. I see its height, its depth, and its width. Today, right now, there's a really good possibility. Knowing that you were made for a relationship with God. That he placed within you this eternal void called a soul. And that soul is never going to be satisfied. That soul is never going to be content apart from the missing piece, which is God. And I believe that oftentimes some of the adventures and travels and journeys we go on in life that lead us sometimes to the most to the greatest of heartaches are because we've been searching for significance and love and meaning and purpose everywhere but where we should. You may be looking for satisfaction and contentment in a a man or a woman or in drugs and alcohol. You may be trying to fill that void that happened to you when you were seven years old. You may be trying to to lay over that wound of something that happened to you your first year at college. Let me tell you something. I don't care what you hear outside of here. I don't care what your good-for-nothing dad told you. I don't care what your horrible boss told you. I don't care what that boyfriend or girlfriend your first year at college told you. You matter. I'll tell you today that God loves you. And it didn't start the moment you came to church. 
It didn't start the moment you were conceived. It started before he ever started packing this dirt ball together. You have value. This love of God, I believe, can be divided into two categories. It is either the greatest love we have ever known or the greatest love we have never known. But regardless, it is the greatest love. Please be still. Please, just one more moment. You don't have to earn this love. You can't. What we do is believe. God, I'm a sinner. I know it. I'm reminded of it all the time. I missed your mark of holiness. I'm unlovable. I'm unforgiving. Oftentimes I'm unkind. But for reasons beyond my understanding, God, you love me. And you are willing to pay for me a price that is greater than anybody has ever shown me in this world. And if you could say today, God, I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross for me, paying my sin debt as your own. Today, I believe that. I believe the gospel. And today I receive Jesus Christ. Would you say that to God?